This is the Doubles Only Tennis Podcast, where you learn the best tips and strategies in the world to help you become a smarter, more effective tennis player. You'll hear interviews with pro tour doubles players and coaches, including easy to use lessons to improve your game and win more matches. My name is Will Bocek, founder of the Tennis Tribe, doubles strategy coach, and host of the show. Hey everyone, and welcome to today's show. What we're going to cover today is the mental side of doubles. So this is going to be the first part in a, I believe it'll be a four-part series on double strategy. Uh, Part two will be on serve strategy, part three, return strategy, and then part four will be on net play. And we may do a part five, I'm not sure yet, but Today we're covering kind of the mental side of doubles. Um, Really, it's kind of a foundational lesson on double strategy. So we will cover, like I said, some mental things, but we're also going to cover just some basics that you need to know to uh, improve your double strategy and to understand double strategy at a really deep level. Um, So what we're going to start with is some stuff that might seem obvious, but uh, I think it's really important to begin with. there was a uh, one of the best basketball coaches ever um, named John Wooden who coached it. Uh, I think it was UCLA, and he won like 10 or 11 championships or something like that. Uh, every year where he had his team, uh, he, he would have some new players and some old players, but every year the first practice he had, he would teach his players how to tie their shoes. So he always started with the most basic fundamentals, and I think that's a really good place to start for us as well. So each time we step out onto the doubles court, our goal is to obviously win the match, right? And each match we have made up of sets, which are made up of games, which are made up of points. And if we can improve our chances to win these points, uh, we can improve our chances to win the games, sets, and matches. So it, it kind of works its way back up. And uh, the thing we have to ask ourselves is, what is each point made up of? So we've, of course, got a serve. Uh, Typically, we have a return, unless it's a double fault. And then we have ground strokes, volleys, overheads, and so on. So if we can improve each of those things, we will improve our odds to win the point, which will improve our odds to win the game and the set and the match. And that's how we get better at tennis. So if you can improve your serve, your return, your ground strokes, your volleys, your overheads, you're going to get better and win more matches and win higher level matches and so on. So one of the first things that I've learned over the last uh, three years that's been most impactful to me is um, the rally length of tennis matches. So the average rally length of a a given point. And I've gotten this from uh, Craig O'Shaughnessy, who I've worked with over the past few years, uh, he's over at BrainGameTennis.com, as well as uh, Warren Pretorius, who's the the founder of a company called Tennis Analytics. And they really, both of them really study the data of tennis. And it's um, it's really changed the way I see both the singles and the doubles court. Um, it's And it's changed the way I see the game. And the average rally length in singles is around four shots at almost every level of tennis, um, actually at every level of tennis, I shouldn't say almost, 
Uh, and then in doubles, it's around that as well. It's actually slightly lower in doubles. So it's um, somewhere around four shots. So that, that's the majority of the points are going to end in four shots or less. Uh, and the most common rally length is actually only one. So that's a serve in the court and then either a missed return or it's an ace um, e either way. So when I first learned this, it really kind of changed the way I saw the court, right? Um, and Craig and Warren both write uh, a lot about and, and speak a lot about uh, the practice court, um, which I'm not going to get into too much, but it's essentially, you know, we don't practice our serves and returns enough. Um, we go out there and groove and hit a bunch of ground strokes, but most rallies don't last more than four shots. So, you know, why are we practicing these nine, 10, 12 shot rallies? Uh, but anyways, for the, for, for double strategy, that helps us um, really focus on serves and returns. You know, that can change kind of our mentality on the court. And if we lose a r long rally that's maybe 15 or 20 shots, we can kind of step back and say, okay, that was just one rally. And if we just keep focusing on serves and returns, we're going to win this match because most points aren't going to be like that. Uh, that's not um, going to be the average. So that's one thing to keep in mind. Uh, another thing I've learned from both of them is that most points end in an error. So uh, a lot of doubles teams that I play against, they're, they're trying to hit winners. Um, and I love playing against them because all I have to do is just make the ball back in the court and they're going to make an error. And when you realize that most points are going to end in an error, then all you have to do is make fewer errors than the opponent and you win the match. So uh, it can kind of change your mentality when you step out onto the court rather than focusing on what do I need to be doing to hit better shots. Uh, a better question to ask yourself when you step onto the court is what can I do to make the other team hit more errors? How can I make them uncomfortable? Right. So that might be hitting to their backhand volley instead of their forehand volley or uh, hitting with depth if they're serving and staying back to try to kind of push them on their heels or moving forward in the court to try to put pressure on them and force an error or moving laterally at the net to try to make them change direction on their return and miss. So all sorts of things like that can help put pressure on the other team and, and force more errors. And because we know most points are going to end in an error, we can really focus on that when we go out to the doubles court. And then the last uh, statistic that I've gotten from, from Craig and Warren that I've learned a lot, a lot about um, or that has really changed my mentality is uh, the percentage of points that you're going to win each time you step on the court. So the year in number one, for uh, the last five years, really forever. Um, but I, I think Craig studied it from 2015 to 2019. And he took all the points that the year in number one had played and figured out that they only won about 51 to 55% of all the points they played. So that's Novak Djokovic, Rafael Nadal, um, and in doubles, uh, I haven't looked at the data, but I'd imagine it's probably even tighter uh, because doubles matches seem to be a little bit closer because uh, it's harder to break serve. Um, 
So with that in mind, that that's, you know, if you're the number one player in the world, you're winning 11 out of every 20 points and you're losing nine out of every 20. So, so that's, um, that kind of gives you a new perspective and you can say, okay, I'm going to lose a lot of points today, but all I have to win is 11 out of 20. All I have to win, win is, is about 50, 51 to 55% and I'll probably win the match. Um, in Craig's new course uh, that he created with Jeff Greenwald, who uh, has a good website over at fearlesstennis.com, um, the new course they built together is called Getting Tight, and I helped them with some of the filming and stuff. They talk a lot about this, and they talk about uh, junior players who get frustrated and how uh, the juniors that that they work with, they can tell them, you know, when they lose a point, hey, that's only that's one of the 45 percent. That's OK. Let's move on. I'm going to lose a lot of points today. So uh, that's something else that was really shocking to me. Um, if you had asked me, you know, what percentage of points does Novak win? I, I probably would have said like 65 or 70 percent. So um, that was really surprising to me. And I think it's kind of helped my own mentality and can help you when you step out onto the court. So. Moving on, uh, next we're going to talk about some in-match uh, strategy improvement and kind of how to view each point during a match. So when we're looking at improving during a match, the way I like to think about this is in tennis, uh, in any given match, we have four types of points. So each point has two characteristics. Uh, at the end of a point, you can say, I won that point or I lost that point, which is really outcome focused. But you can also say, uh, which is a better question, I either played that point well or I played that point poorly. Um, and we want to focus on how well or poorly we played the point. So you hear a lot of great coaches like uh, Bill Belichick and Nick Saban and Greg Popovich uh, in professional sports, they all say, you know, focus on process rather than outcome. And this this kind of framework will help us do that. So with the four types of points, uh, we have points that we win and we play well. We have points that we win and we play poorly. We have points that we lose and we play well. And we have points we lose and we play poorly. And there's two of those four points that really I see kind of get people into trouble. The first type of point is a point that we lost, but we played well. So let's say you're on the doubles court. You hit a good serve. The return comes back to you. You hit a good volley, and then you end up with an overhead, and you miss it in the net. We've all had points like that where we, you know, play a few good shots and then we end up with an overhead and we miss it and we get frustrated, right? I've done it a thousand times. But the way we need to view this point is it's lost, but it's well played. So if we continue to play points like that, we're going to make that overhead seven, eight, nine out of 10 times, and we're definitely going to win the match, right? So... What I see a lot of people do after they miss this overhead is, you know, they'll get really frustrated with themselves. They'll yell at themselves. They'll work on their overhead technique, which is usually not the issue um, for another reason that we'll get into later. 
maybe they'll hit a ball into the fence, whatever. They'll get really down. And what I've learned and tried to kind of train myself to do over the last uh, several years is to, you know, yes, you'll be disappointed for a second, but shake it off quickly and say, you know, go over to your partner and say, hey, my bad, I'll make that nine out of 10 times. So let's keep playing that way. That, you know, that worked. We ended up with an an overhead where we're going to typically win the point. Or if it's your partner who misses the overhead, you know, go over to them and say, hey, you're going to make that most of the time. Keep it up. Keep playing that way. So that's the first category of point that they can kind of get us in trouble. And, you know, after the point, we need to think about, did we play that point the right way? Not what was the outcome of the point. The second type of point that can get us into trouble is points that we win, but we play poorly. So um, let's flip the script on that last point, and let's say the opponents missed an overhead. And what I'll see a lot of people do when their opponents miss an easy shot is, uh, you know, some people who, you know, if you're a bad sport, maybe you scream, come on, or something like that. But people might give a little fist pump or whatever it may be, and they may be uh, happy that they won the point, but they may not always kind of question, okay, what did I do wrong in that point to give them an easy overhead, right? Um, think about what could you have done differently to in that point so that it would be a well-played point. Even though you won the point, you're probably not going to be able to continue to play like that and win the match because that opponent's going to make that overhead, like we said earlier, seven, eight, nine out of 10 times, and you'll lose that point. So we really want to focus on well-played points. And if we can have more well-played points, we can uh, improve our odds to win the match. So that leads me to the next point, which um, is kind of another framework for thinking about uh, how we can improve our in-match strategy and improve our chances to win the point. And what we want to think about is, is probabilities. Um, so if you're not a, a big math person, that's okay. Uh, I'll try to explain this in pretty basic terms. But um, during a point, the odds of you winning that point change. So if I were, let's say, watching a point on TV, I could pause it and maybe just guess a number on who I think will win the point. Like that team has a 65% chance to win the point because uh, they're serving and they have a first serve and the point hasn't started yet, right? Maybe they missed the first serve and I pause it and I say, okay, now it's a second serve. They've got a a 55% chance to win the point. Um, And then if we hit play again and the serve goes in and the return is hit really well uh, down at the server's feet while they're trying to serve in volley, I might say, pause it and say, okay, they've got a tough low backhand volley. I'm going to say that the return team now has a 60% chance to win this point. So at any given point, we've got at any given moment in the point, we've got different odds of which team will win the point. And we don't have to be calculating this on a constant basis, obviously, that's going to be impossible to do during the point, right? During the point, you're going to, you know, be focused on playing. So uh, the way we want to think about this is after the point. 
So after the point, we need to be looking back and saying, okay, like we, we were the serving team and then the return team got the advantage at some point and that's how we lost the point. At what at what moment did they get the advantage and how can we prevent that from happening next time? So it might have been uh, that returner is really grooving uh, the cross-court returns and they're able to put it at my partner's feet. So let's try eye formation to try to make them hit that return down the line. Or maybe I need to do a little bit more lateral movement and fake to try to make them see me and force a few more errors uh, to get them out of that rhythm. So we want to constantly kind of be thinking about these probabilities. Um, a good analogy is kind of odds in poker. Uh, so I've got a blog post on this if you go to thetennistribe.com. And it's under the improve section. Uh, click on the mental game and you can find the blog post there. Uh, but if you're a poker player, if you've ever played poker, you know that you know you have certain odds to win your hand. And if you have like a queen, for example, and that's the high card on the board, you probably have pretty good odds. But then if the next card is an ace and you don't have an ace, your odds go down. So it's kind of constantly changing. And we can view tennis uh, in that same way. Um, so to, to bring this to kind of a conclusion, I'll, I'll end with an example. Um, when let's say you're returning in the deuce court, right? And you have two options. Uh, let's say you've decided you, you've got to look at a second serve and you know, this opponent's been hitting a weak second serve and you've decided, all right, I'm going to go down the line here. Um, it's a, you know, 40 love point and, uh, I can take a big risk here or something like that. Um, so you have two options. You can try to hit down the line and go for the all-out winner, aim for the doubles alley over the high part of the net, and if it gets by the net player, you know, you're going to win the point 100% of the time. But how often are you going to make that? Let's say you'll make it six out of ten times because it's a, a pretty weak second serve. Or there's another option, and you can play with a little higher margin. You can hit at the singles line, which is a little bit lower uh, over the net strap. Uh, you can miss a little bit right, and it'll still be in the court because you're aiming at the singles line. But the opponent is likely to get a racket on it, right? And if they're a right-handed player, it's going to be a backhand volley. So that's going to be the weaker of their two volleys. So maybe you make, instead of six out of 10, maybe you make eight out of 10. And of those eight, maybe five of them, the opponent gets a racket on it and makes an error because it's a weak backhand volley and you're hitting a, a pretty good forehand. Um, on those other three that you make, maybe they get the ball back, but they kind of pop it up because it's, again, a weak backhand volley and they give you a short ball, and you make two of those next three, and then you win seven out of ten points, right? Hopefully you're able to follow that. Um, so now, instead of going for the all-out winner down the line and winning six out of ten, now you've won seven out of ten by playing with a little higher margin and going at the opponent's backhand volley. So uh, that's kind of a simplistic way to look at it, uh, a kind of oversimplified example, but that's how we want to kind of think about these odds. Uh, what we're able to do is, you know, win one extra point out of 10, which is 10%, and it's a huge difference. 
So um, that's an example that I've kind of used in the past and, and kind of told people, uh, hey, when we're hitting down the line in that deuce court, if it's a backhand volley, you don't need to go for the all-out winner, right? Um, they're likely, if they make that backhand volley, to set you up for your next shot. So uh, hopefully that helps you kind of understand these uh, probabilities and kind of looking at the odds of the point. So what I want to talk about next is getting angry on the court. I said I wanted to touch on this. Um, like I said earlier, it, when I was a junior, I uh, did get angry on the court a lot. I actually uh, embarrassingly won the John McEnroe Award at our uh, junior tennis program because I, I actually broke rackets and things like that. It was really embarrassing. Um, and I think if if a coach had told me uh, that 55% rule earlier, I think that could have helped a lot. Um, but something else that, that would have helped me and, and has helped me over the last uh, several years is um, just studying what kind of anger does to the mind. Um, so there's a good author uh, named James Clear, who uh, I think he wrote a book called Atomic Habits that you may have heard of. And he's got a good blog post on uh, what anger does to the mind and what what certain like negative emotions can do to the mind. And um, the conclusion of that, and I, I touch on this in my uh, course on the mental game called the Mental Game Masterclass, uh, which you can find on the website. But what uh, what these negative emotions do to the mind is they narrow our focus. So. What that means for us as doubles players is if we get angry on the court, we're far less likely to be able to see what's happening clearly and be able to come up with a new strategy to change what's happening in the match. So to put that in an example is uh, let's say we're out on the court and we're in a tight match and we lose a big point and we start to get frustrated. And what's happening on the court is the opponents are into a good rhythm returning cross court. Um, because we're angry, we're less likely to notice that they're hitting good cross court returns. And we're less likely to make an adjustment, um, which might be, you know, switch to eye formation or uh, start faking more or poaching more at the net or something like that. We're less likely to see that because we're angry on the court. So if we can stay calm and stay present, uh, then we're able to kind of view what's happening more clearly and we're able to come up with new strategies and uh, we're ultimately more likely to win. And that's that's something that I feel like a lot of coaches don't ever tell any juniors growing up, right? Um, I was never told, you know, I, I was always told, stop getting angry, stop getting angry, don't bang your racket, but they never told us why. Like, why would that actually help me improve uh, my chances to win. Like, what's wrong with getting angry? I like to bang my racket when I lose the point. You know, why can't I do that? And this is the answer. Um, it, it's actually going to make us less likely to win the match. So um, that's uh, that's why it's so important to kind of stay calm. And uh, somebody I mentioned earlier, Jeff Greenwald, who, who's over at fearlesstennis.com, um, he actually is a, a certified sports psychologist, I believe. And um, he works with athletes fr from all different sports uh, and helps them with, with kind of the mental side of 
sports. And one thing he likes to talk about a lot is kind of staying present and staying calm on the court and and kind of staying uh, aware of your thoughts and things like that. And, and he uses things like feeling your feet on the tennis court and feeling your shoes, kind of making contact with the court and noticing your surroundings and things like that. And uh, it's really, um, really helpful. Uh, the way I like to think about it is uh, staying present and kind of staying curious. And the way I'm able to do that on the court or the way that I try to do that on the court is simply by asking questions. So I wanted to go over a few of my favorite questions that I ask myself on the doubles court um, that help me kind of improve my in-match strategy. So the first one is, uh, what could I have done differently on that point to improve my odds to win that point? So you can ask yourself this on any poorly played points. That's where I would start. Even if you won the point, uh, a good question you can ask yourself is, what could I have done to win that point earlier? What should I have changed? So uh, things that you can do differently, you can obviously, uh, one of the biggest things is, you know, where should you have hit your shot, right? So maybe the opponents were both at the net and you hit the ball down the middle because that's typically a good double strategy. But after the point, you ask yourself, you know, they missed that volley and I won the point. But next time, what could I do differently to improve my odds? And you might say, well, they were both really crowded on top of the net. So I could probably hit a lob next time to kind of push them back. Uh, so, so asking yourself these questions in between points can help you uh, improve your in-match strategy. And, and really, you should be asking yourself as well as talking about this with your doubles partner, right? Um, what, what are you seeing up there that, uh, that, um, we could do differently to, to make them a little bit less comfortable? Um, that's kind of something that, that you can work with your doubles partner on to, to continue to improve. Um, so you can change your, your shot location. You can change your, uh, placement. You can change your spin, your pace, all sorts of things like that. Um, as well as positioning, movement on the court. Um, all these things can kind of help make the other team uncomfortable. And like we said at the beginning, force more errors. Um, so really focusing on what is going to make that other team uncomfortable. And again, the way we do that is, is staying present and staying curious and asking ourselves questions during the match. Um, one thing that I have noticed a lot more over the last few years by asking myself these questions is when my partner's serving, um, sometimes my partner will, uh, and we all do it, I do it myself, they'll get into a couple of games where they are just missing a lot of first serves. And one thing a lot of people don't notice is where they're missing those first serves. So a lot of times I've noticed that my partner's missing every single first serve for maybe a couple of games in a row they're missing them all in the net. So, you know, I, I might go back to my partner and say, hey, it, it looks like you're just barely missing all of these into the net. Maybe just aim a little higher on that first serve. Now, we don't want to be correcting their technique uh, during a match. That's a, a terrible idea. Um, 
and we don't want to be correcting our own technique and we'll maybe we do a whole nother episode on that but uh to just say hey maybe try aiming a little higher and see if that helps uh could be a, a good um helpful tip for your partner there uh but the key here is to to notice notice where things are missing notice what's what's making the opponents uncomfortable uh notice what's making you and your partner uncomfortable and see how you can adjust some of the placement the movement the spin the pace all of these things so uh moving on the last thing i wanted to cover is the different roles on the doubles court So when we're talking about the different roles on the doubles court, we've, we have four different positions. Uh, I shared a lesson on this a few weeks ago in the doubles newsletter. Um, you can sign up for that at vtennistribe.com and went into it in a lot more uh, depth there. But I wanted to touch on it briefly here on this kind of initial uh, uh, series uh, on the mental game and, and double strategy. And uh, the the first position is the server, then we have the server's partner, and then we have the returner, and then we have the returner's partner. And we can break down doubles into these four positions, and we can uh, talk a little bit about each of their roles. So to start with the server, the server's job is to set up their partner at the net. So to put it that another way, an ideal point for the server is to make a first serve. In doubles, we generally want to make a higher percentage of first serves than we do in singles. So that means, you know, if you watch pro doubles players, they're hitting with a lot more spin and a lot less pace on their first serves uh, than the singles players are because it's more important in doubles to make a higher percentage, typically around uh, 70 to 75%. But I'm getting off track a little bit. Um, so an ideal point for the server is to make a first serve for a return to come back and for their partner at the net to end the point with a volley, a three-shot rally. Uh, they might end it with a winner by hitting an overhead or, or putting away a volley, or they might end it uh, by forcing an error by hitting it at the other the returner's partner's feet, who's also up at the net, um, ideally hitting that at their backhand volley. Uh, so that's an ideal point for the server. So their job is to set up their partner at the net because their partner at the net has uh, first access to uh, what Craig O'Shaughnessy calls the center window. Um, he's got a great course called the 25 Golden Rules of Doubles where he talks a lot about that uh, on his website. And um, most points or most balls in doubles go through this kind of center window over the, the middle net strap. So the server's partner has first access to that. Um, and I actually interviewed Craig in another episode, which, uh, was really good. You should definitely check that out. Um, so, so that's the, the ideal point for the server. The server's partner, uh, obviously their job is to kind of clean up anything at the net um, any weak returns, things like that. But what's more is their job is to actually put pressure on the returner. So a lot of people make the mistake, especially at the recreational level. You don't really see this at the pro level, um, at least with the good doubles teams. But a lot of players make the mistake of 
being the server's partner and they wait to see if it's a weak return and then they go and poach and, and end the point. And yes, you should do that. You know, if a ball is really floating slowly over the net, go get it and, and end the point. But really, you should be moving before the return, as they hit the return, mixing up your, uh, your movement up there so that the returners cannot get into a rhythm. Because if the server gets broken, it's just as much, unless there's a bunch of double faults, it's just as much the server's partner's fault as it is the server's, far, server's fault. Um, because they need to be putting pressure and forcing missed returns. So that might mean calling uh, things like eye formation, calling poaches, uh, calling fakes, all sorts of stuff like that to make sure that those returners do not get into any sort of rhythm on the return. Um, so so your, your job is to really put pressure on the returner and to force missed returns. So uh, an ideal point for the server's partner, uh, at least in my mind, uh, is really one of two things. One would be, like we said before, just finishing the point on that third ball. Um, so that's an ideal point for the serving team in general. Uh, but my favorite type of point to win as the server's partner is when I'm at the net and I either poach or fake and the returner tries to change direction or tries to hit their return a little bit wider than they uh, should have because they see me moving and they miss. So essentially forcing an error on the return. And, you know, there's two elements to that. There's, you know, how good is the serve? But a lot of people underrate um, the movement of that net player enforcing the return error. So keep that in mind as the server's partner. So next, uh, we'll touch on the return side of the court. Uh, the returner's job is to get the point back to neutral. So earlier we talked a lot about uh, probabilities and the odds of each team winning the point and how it changes during the point. And before any point even starts, the serving team has the advantage. Their odds to win the point are always going to be above 50%. You know, um, they get, like I said, they get first access to that center window area and they get to hit a first serve before the point starts. Um, and the returner has to make a return and get it past the the server's partner, which is a very difficult task. Um, they can't just chip a return back higher over the net like you can in singles. So the return team is at a disadvantage straight away. And that's why the returner's job is to find a way to get the point back to neutral. So the best way to do that is to find a way to get the ball, get the return specifically past the, the server's partner. If you can do that, you can get the return back to the server. Uh, that will typically get you back to uh, a level playing field. That'll typically get you back to about 50-50. Um, the, the, of course, there's exceptions to this. Like if you hit a weak return, give them a short forehand. But, um, you know, it's, it's going to be more difficult on first serves than second serves. But uh, that's your job as the returner. Find a way to get the point back to neutral 
or uh, get it back to your advantage. Um, so that's why a good return strategy can be, you know, go back cross court uh, at the server, um, low over the center net strap is a good strategy. Uh, you can hit lob returns over the server's partner. Um, and we'll talk more about return strategy in part three of the series. But again, just focusing on finding a way to get that point back to neutral and getting the ball in play. Uh, and then the last position is the returner's partner. So the job of the return returner's partner is to read the point and either extend it by playing defense or end it by playing offense. So this is the most difficult position on the court because they don't have, uh, they're likely to be the last player to hit a ball. Um, what they have to do is read the return and also read the two players on the other side of the net. So what they're looking for is to figure out is my partner hitting a good return? Is the server's partner going to be able to hit a volley off of the return? And is it going to be an offensive or defensive shot? Or is the server going to be hitting the next shot? And is it going to be an offensive or defensive shot? So you really have to read all of these things at once and tell yourself, okay, do I need to be offensive? Is the return uh, such a good return that we've tilted the odds back in our favor uh, from having the odds in the server's favor? Or was that a defensive return and the opponent is going to have an easy high volley or a short forehand and I need to be backing up to get ready for a defensive shot to try to stay in the point? So really, um, it's a tough position. We're going to get into it more in part three. Uh, but that's what you want to focus on if you're the returner's partner in general. We're reading the point and we're going to decide after that return is hit, do we need to be playing defense and extending it or do we need to be uh, moving forward, playing offense and try to keep the advantage that our partner, the returner, uh, created with their return. So uh, that is it for this episode. Thanks for listening, and I will talk to you in the next one. If you're a doubles player, you'll love our weekly doubles newsletter. Every Thursday, we send you doubles tips and strategies to help you improve your game and become a smarter player. When you sign up, you'll get a free 10-page guide on how to play with more confidence and dominate at the net in doubles. You can go to thetennistribe.com to sign up now.